Hey SEOs and content marketers, say goodbye to crazy spreadsheet mashups and experience unprecedented connectivity between your SEO planning and reporting data. Introducing Audience Key, technology for keyword mapping, content brief automation, and rank tracking that form an SEO strategy system providing unparalleled feedback loops between planning, reporting, and optimization activities. Put your time and energy into strategy, not data upkeep. Visit audiencekey.com and apply for a free trial today. This, this episode, The End is the Beginning is the End Edition. This is a, uh, a tough one today, but it's, it's actually probably going to be one of the more interesting shows we've ever recorded. For me, it's going to be one of the more emotional ones because uh, my longtime collaborator and friend of nearly 20 years is moving on to another phase of his career, and that move means it's time for him to leave the podcast we've made together uh, each week for the past 17 years. This, my friends, is Dave Davies' last uh, episode co-hosting Webcology. I can't think about, much less articulate, the number of changes we've experienced in our careers and in our lives during this time. Uh, we grew into and most of the way through middle age together. Um, Dave and I started at Webmaster Radio hosting a show called The Alternative, sponsored by, by then the second or third tier search engine, ExactSeq, that looked at search engines that weren't Google. A year later, we started the Webcology show and have since looked at virtually every aspect of, of digital age marketing. Webcology gives us access to literally anything in search and virtually anyone that we, we, we wanted to talk to and as such, it's a tremendous privilege. Together, we've produced around 850 episodes, which when you uh, stack them hour by hour by hour is 34 and a half days worth of content. No one actually knows exactly how many Webcology episodes are out there, but there's around 850 or so. We've conducted countless interviews, and for me, this has been the most productive working partnership of my entire lifetime. I want to take a second to thank you, Dave. My life would be very different if we hadn't met Victoria, if uh, Stepforth hadn't hosted with your company, if Ross hadn't hired you away from that hosting company, and if you hadn't agreed to co-host this show for the last decade and a half, thank you, Dave. Uh, yeah. We were going to record a number of people around the world saying hello, goodbye, and thank you, but there's honestly way too many voices to contact and schedule, and the events of this week don't really permit it. Right now, we are witnessing and experiencing, and in many cases participating in, the most significant advancements in technology and ability in the entire history of computing. As it happens, we have one of the search industry's emerging experts on the field co-hosting his final show. And he wanted to book Lily Ray, so that's what we did. <laughs> Dave is going to continue producing shareable content, but he's going to be doing it under the banner of Weights and Biases, the AI-focused firm he's now director of SEO at. Dave's also going to continue to appear and speak at major search conferences and events, and is an intense, his intense knowledge and extraordinary personality will still be available at a webcast or podcast distribution service near you, and I urge you to seek it out. We're going to continue on. Christine's going to be sitting across the virtual table in the co-host seat, and we're going to continue to bring what we hope is quick-witted views of events and news. Please stay tuned. And again, um, Dave, man. Thank you so much. It has been uh, an amazing, yeah, like 16 years of, of uh, making making radio with you. And, and it's funny, yeah, I was with this like, oh, you can be excited and you can be sad, right? Like for like, and when, as I was uh, sort of like logging in and clicking, clicking the link to the show and going, well, that's the last time I clicked that link. I mean, as a co-host. Oh yeah. I imagine you, you can't get rid of me forever, but, um, you know, and so it was sort of like bittersweet, like, yes, I I'm looking forward to, uh, to the sort of like next stage, but at the same time, um, you know, it's, it's been an, an amazing time and, and co-hosting with the person who literally is responsible for building my career. Cause you, you went back to like, and step forth, um, hosting with the hosting company I worked for and seeing that, I remember go like because I was doing sales there and going, well, this would sure be easier if they called me and then talking 
<laughs> to the owners and going, we need to just hire these guys because I want my phone to ring. I don't want to have to like call out. And it worked. Um, it and did. then learning from you guys how that was done, starting into affiliate marketing, which regular listeners will know I've referenced a bunch as to when I went a little more into gray black for a while there um, in the in the strategies um, that I was using. Um, and, uh, and, and and so, yeah, I, I pretty much owe uh, combined between between you and Ross, my career, um, and just a just a ton of a ton of fun over the last 15, 16 years of uh, of doing radio. Um, and the pep talk you gave me um, as I was going to speak at my first conference um, back in 2006, SES San Jose 2006, and I was nervous as hell. And you were just like, everybody wants you to succeed. Don't worry about it. Everybody wants you to succeed. And I, I held on to that while I was standing there in, a, in front of a larger room um than uh than i thought of and and it turned out okay and 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 here i still am and uh so yeah looking forward to seeing you at another conference but i remember those words every time i'm stepping on a stage well as it it turns out it did turn out okay um and moving forward uh not only do people want you to succeed moving forward in your in your new role with weights and biases i think um they're going to be fairly intensely interested in uh, in what happens along the way because, um, as I kind of alluded to in in the introduction, um, you're quickly emerging as one of the preeminent. Um, are you on the, are, are you comfortable with the word expert um, in the field of, of machine learning and AI in relation to search? Um, so I think people are going to be intensely interested in uh, in your success moving forward. Yeah, it, it's very interesting. It's funny because I, I don't like expert, but that's because I'm dealing all day with doctors of machine learning. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, I know. I'm just an idiot. Um, you know, when it when it uh, it comes relative to, uh, certainly relative to them, where I'm like, oh, okay, I can kind of explain GPT-3 to like my dad. But then when they're talking about it, I'm like, oh, there's so much going on with tokenization. I don't know. Um, and that's okay because I'm a marketer. Uh, <laughs> you just need to separate that one. Um, anyway, yeah, it, it, it is very, very exciting. Um, but it is a broad, broad field. And speaking of like exciting things, you'd alluded to it. I was like, we, we've, we've got, we've got Lily Ray here. So we, we and, and, and she's, she's joined us um, and covering what is an incredibly important, well, okay, We'll end up talking about a bunch of stuff, I'm absolutely sure. So I was going to say an incredibly important topic, like there's going to be one. Um, but, you know, obviously, you can't have Lily without talking about eat and then talking about eat. Eat, um, you know? yeah. <laughs> um, you had such a good thing going there. when it was like a three-letter acronym, and then Google comes <laughs> along and like, you know, eat. Um but let's just start. Lily, you're 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 here. Um, it is an absolute pleasure to have you. I, I, I'm so glad to have you on the show. We actually sort of mentioned you on, on the last episode. How are things going? And, and thank you for being here. Of course. Thanks for the invite. Uh, things are good. A little chaotic, you know, kind of planning to talk about a whole set of things this year over the next few months. I'm doing a lot of conference talks and then all the conferences are like, can you just like change everything to talk about AI, please? <laughs> so... That's fun. Fun curveballs as always. So I have to ask, I mean, okay. I think every couple, I don't know. Okay, let me start by asking, are you at PubCon Austin? Yes. Yeah, okay, so you got the email <laughs> going like, and if you want to include that, uh, which makes sense, like this is a hot topic and sort of touches on everything, um, but gives me a great, great entry point to talk to, 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 to you about. Um, because what does that have to do with what you generally speak about? Like help, help us combine these things, uh, between eat, um, and, uh, and AI. Yeah. Well, the, the addition of the new E in EEAT, um, stands for experience. Google introduced that new E in December to the search quality guidelines, they also made a lot of other really big changes to the search quality guidelines. I don't think that SEOs are paying enough attention to it. Like I find myself referring back to the guidelines in most of my conversations with clients. And the big changes that they made, I believe between July and December was the last time they updated the search quality guidelines, 
we don't see the impacts of those changes until future algorithm updates, right? Because like search quality evaluators are now scoring content with this new rubric that includes experience as one of the things they're looking for. And theoretically with future algorithm updates, we'll see that factored into their considerations. So I think it's really interesting timing because if you read what Google says about experience, it doesn't say AI content anywhere in the guidelines, but it hints at it a lot. Or like you could you could consider AI content to be something that is like potentially auto-generated without a lot of effort or a lot of firsthand experience. So I don't know that Google's necessarily gonna go after AI content in particular, but it's kind of like um, like the introduction of this experience factor does challenge a lot of like how people are going to be building content this year, you know? So, so you mentioned, so I, I, I've got to ask is you're like, and there's a bunch of stuff, but yet there's this big, this one big thing that we're going like, oh, they added an E. Um, yeah. What what did we miss? What else yeah. is in there that, that you're like, SEO should be paying attention to this, but they're like focused on this one letter. Yeah, there's a lot around like uh, how much effort went into making the content. So they talk a lot about effort and originality. So I think that's really interesting. It's like, they all kind of talk about the same thing. It's really like, we think content has, should have a high page quality rating when it's clear that the author spent a lot of time and a lot of experience like making the content. So it doesn't talk about specific tactics to auto-generating content or whatever, but if you are taking shortcuts and not there's not a lot of human oversight or editorial oversight, that does technically fall into actually like the lowest quality rating and lowest quality rating is reserved for like spam and hacked pages. So it's pretty clear what Google's looking for. So this was all written before um, chat GPT came out, but it's very interesting timing because I think like at some point they might have to directly talk about how they treat this type of content, which they haven't done yet. Well, Content creators and and business owners and you know just people making making their websites might have problems avoiding AI in the future. Uh, Microsoft mm -hmm. earlier this week announced that AI is going to be incorporated into um, its its Word suite. Yeah. Um, I think Adobe made made an announcement about AI just the other day. Um, mm -hmm. Everyone is incorporating AI into virtually everything. How yeah. is that? How do you think that's going to affect? Um, the way content creators and and, and webmasters uh, should should behave moving in the future. Yeah, I think there's many many different applications where AI generated content is and can be effective for SEO and for marketing. Like, you know, it's not it's not like a black and white thing. I think that like one example that I always use is like using AI content generators to write like descriptions on category pages on an e-commerce website, like that's harmless, right? It's like, it's just a little bit of text content. It's helpful. It's good for users. It adds something to the page. Like that's fine. Um, where I think it gets tricky and what we've seen already with like CNET and Bankrate and everything is like, there's factual errors in there. <laughs> if it's like financial advice or something that's a little bit outdated, you know, like these tools currently can't report on like new information. So you just, I think there's a, absolutely many different use cases for it. And I think you can use it safely, but uh, I wouldn't overhaul my content creation process. And me personally, and like the clients that we have at our agency, we're being very, very cautious with using these tools to produce content. And that gets into a whole other thing. I feel like agencies um, have an ethical obligation to tell their clients the extent to which they're using these tools as well. Now that makes me have to ask a question that I think is coming to a courtroom near you is if you're not fully declaring that this content is AI generated, how long do you think it'll be until somebody gets sued hmm. for financial or health related content, like your money? Yeah. I've been saying I'm, it's just a ticking time bomb. Like I'm just waiting for one of these tools to spit out some type of misinformation. Like chat GPT seems to be really cautious with misinformation in general. If you ask it controversial questions, it's very, it seems very like trained to like, I'm not going to answer that because I don't talk about those types of topics. Like it's very cautious, but um, another thing that's really important to think about with where, with where Google has been going is that the first 30 pages of the search quality guidelines talk about finding who wrote the content 
and finding the reputation of the, the brand and the authors. So if you're CNET or Bankrate or any financial site and you're using AI content, you have an obligation, at least for SEO purposes, for Google purposes, to say who wrote it. You can't really get away with hiding that information. You can try, but imagine the PR crisis that that would be if people found out. So you have to say who's writing the content, you know, how the content was created. At yeah. the same time, there's there's uses for AI to augment content. Um, uh, uh, financial information, stock information is coming to you at a, a rapid rate off the tickers, maybe uh, two or three minutes difference from what's happening on the floor. That mm -hmm. can be incorporated into a uh, page full of content very quickly with AI without in any way sacrificing quality. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's so many use cases for it that are like not controversial. Like it's that's excellent. What a great way to enhance the content, you know, but it's I think the chat GPT thing just changed the conversation because it's, there's so many different things you can ask it and potentially it doesn't always answer everything correctly. Something I, I was wondering, and then I, I imagine, um, I think I just gave a, a quick case use on how, but are, are there other ways that AI can be helpful? And when Google talks about content that's helpful, um, were they thinking about AI? Yeah, I think the helpful content update had more to do with like SEO in general, like um, people taking any type of shortcut to just try to rank a lot of content for search engines and kind of like trick users and trick, trick search engines and just mass produce a lot of unhelpful content. But I do think AI falls into that. Like there's more and more tools that that are available to people to be able to create content at scale. Like last year, I think a really like uh, popular tactic within the black slash gray hat SEO community was like scraping people also ask questions and using AI to answer them and just creating sites that did a lot of like scraping and just, you know, creating FAQs and all these things. I've seen so many of these sites and you'll see they, they get a lot of traffic in a short amount of time. And then Google catches onto it. And like, especially during the helpful content update and other spam updates, you'll see the sites like one by one get taken down. So I think it's like a, it's a machine learning thing. The helpful content update is learning all these different tactics that people are using. And I think it'll be interesting to see this like cat and mouse game this year where Google is hopefully or potentially getting smart enough to figure out when AI content is being used. And then maybe core updates will, you know, take care of it if it's being used egregiously. Well, and again, um, given given Google's owed owed uh, often egregious use of of, of AI content, it's it's I don't think it's it's a it ain't what you do; it's the way that you do it mm -hmm. um, that that either gets results or gets you in deep trouble. Yeah. Um, how are you using AI moving forward? At the moment, nobody's really using it because ChatGPT is at capacity all the time. So that's fun. Um, we're, we're in the camp of like, yeah, we'll pay for it. It was this is definitely useful. You know, like we found a bunch of use cases for it on our team. Um, the things I'm most excited about are like Excel formulas and regex formulas and um, anything like schema, writing schema. Like that's awesome. I've never had a tool that I can say, give me movie structured data for The Shining. And it's not only like, does it write the structured data? It knows all the details. Like it knows all the attributes and knows how long the movie is. Like that's such a time saver. Of course you have to check everything, but um, a lot of the backend work that we do as SEOs, I think is really exciting to use these types of tools for, but I would be very cautious about like, hey client, we wanna write a, an article about this and this thing and ChatGPT did 70% of it and we tweaked it. I'm like, is, if every SEO agency is doing that, every content creation agency is doing that, you're not creating valuable content, you know? Well, yeah, there's, there's obviously a threshold that that is um, going to establish itself. Um, I'm not sure if threshold's the right word or um, uh, uh, bottomless pit, but something is going to establish itself as the uh, place you, you, you want to rise above. Um, it's going to be interesting seeing how, how that evolves. How quickly do you think it's going to happen? I mean, SEOs always jump on things, um, sometimes use, use them well, sometimes bastardize them all to hell. Um, yeah. how, how long do you think this process is going to take before Google just starts going, whoa, yo, hey? Yeah. Um, well, there's the whole other elephant in the room, which is that Google is seemingly going to launch its own version of the product. So it would be a little bit hypocritical for Google to say content that's written by chat GPT is against our guidelines and then launch their own version of it. So yeah, but yeah. that's never stopped them. 
<laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, I mean, it's going to be a really interesting year. I think, I think uh, the next, I've, I've never been excited for core updates before, but I'm, I'm really excited for the next few ones because I think the internet's going to change really fast in the next few months and it'll be interesting to see how Google reacts, but I don't, I don't know how fast it's going to happen. I think uh, it'll probably take them another several core updates to really get a good handle on this thing. Okay, I think I know the answer, but it's it's got to be asked for our listening audience if if nobody else. But I, I'm personally curious to hear your spin on it. Why? Why are you? What do you think is coming in the next series of core updates that is making you think it's going to be interesting mm. to watch and not horrifying um, as an SEO and, and potentially nail biting? Well, for me, like any big changes to the search quality guidelines means that potentially we'll see different outcomes with future core updates because the rules have changed ever so slightly. Even though it's like it's slight nuances in the in the language that it's changed. If the quality raters are now thinking about firsthand experience as part of the EEAT family, they're going to be rating content a little bit differently from that regard. And like, you know, I, I sometimes write blogs or whatever and like, you know, you write about certain topics and you have experts writing about certain topics. And the reality is that they write differently when they have firsthand experience in the subject matter. I did a whole bunch of SEO talks last year that was talking about like, these are sites uh, or blogs written by people who have experience doing a certain thing. So like if it's a pest control company, you have the pest control guy authoring the content and talking about all the different things that he sees in the field. That's very, very good content because he didn't have to use any SEMrush or anything else to write it. He's just writing what he knows. I think that type of content is going to be rewarded more and more. I think we saw that with the product reviews updates. And now I think we're going to see it with a lot more content because Google wants to be a little bit more like Reddit for a lot of topics because people are now just going directly to Reddit to get answers to things. So I, I like to think that, you know, this whole EAT notion is actually just going to become even more important because they want human beings to write about their firsthand experiences because the re another reality is that people don't as it stands, people don't like reading AI content and they don't like knowing that it's written by AI. Now, and people can tell, which means there's telltale signs, which means there's a danger, right? Like yeah. in, in, in using it for sure. Now we're, we're talking and, and people are inherently selfish and self-interested. So my immediate thoughts, I'm sure most people's immediate thoughts when you see like Dolly or GPT chat or, or whatnot coming out is like, oh, how can I use this? I mean, hopefully mm -hmm. you're using it for like fun and stuff. But on the other side of the equation, if Google can build Sparrow, which is sort of like, I'm sure it'll get a different name eventually, but for, for, for our listeners, like sort of their version of chat GPT, if they can build that, then clearly they can construct that language, which means they've got a mechanism that they could probably deconstruct what yep. you're seeing. How, how, how prevalent do you think their research right now into that is? And you sort of touched on it earlier, but how much at risk? Like where would they judge us and where would they not in using um, AI generated content? Yeah, I think at the end of the day, it's going to boil down to how users feel about it. So we've seen some evidence over the last few weeks with a lot of this stuff making headlines that people don't like reading it. Like it, it doesn't land well with users currently. And now we're getting some PR situations like the, the, the content is factually incorrect. So that's not helping the reputation of AI content. So if Google gets into a situation where they're ranking tons of content really well be, that was written by AI, and users hate it, like that's not good for Google. So I think that they might double down on the EEAT factors that prove that someone's human and that they actually have firsthand experience. And part of that might require like, you know, using technology to figure out how much of the content was written by AI. And to your point, every time any technology comes out, we have to imagine they're ahead of us and being able to like <laughs> reverse engineer it. Well, um... I think I think it was actually uh, uh, OpenAI itself that came out with the uh, the the watermark um, for ChatGPT yeah. content. There's uh, a way to tell the pattern of uh, of ChatGPT, and the ChatGPT will do it itself for you. So I'm sure Google's on that as well. But they 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 went as far as bringing back uh, Larry and Sergey to uh, mm -hmm. to review and um, make notes on 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 AI proposals. Um, 
I was actually going to ask you a, a different line of question. Um, and I, I and actually, if you don't mind, I do want I do want to pursue that because uh, you said something earlier about the quality Raiders guide um, and and reacting to the um, the uh, the new edition of the experiential E in, uh, in EEAT. Mm-hmm. How long does it take for um, quality Raiders um, looking at the composition of of search results to affect how those results? get compiled how long is it like, like how long does it take for the raiders ratings to move up the hierarchy hierarchy at google to the people who actually affect the ratings i would imagine it's at least like six months of of data you know i think it takes a really long time and then like we've seen with core updates over the last couple of years um you know, a site will move up and then it'll move down and then it'll move up and then it'll move down. It's like, they're just try, they're testing things. They didn't quite get it right. Maybe they're adjusting things. So there's a lot of sites that get into this gray area of like moving up and down every time. But I don't I don't know the answer. You know, I've, I've spoken to some quality raters, but I don't know how long it takes Google to, to process all of this feedback. I would imagine it takes a while. Okay, well, that sort of leads to the, to the second line of question which I admit is being composed on the fly. Um, Larry and Sergey were called to uh, to the Googleplex uh, uh, sometime in the last last few weeks to assess and uh, give recommendations on uh, new AI focused projects. Um, your gut sense, and I, I know this is this is asking you to step out on a limb a little bit. I apologize, but your gut sense: how much is Google about to change? Is are are we looking at a fundamental shift in our relationship with Google? Yeah, it's it's really hard to say. Um, there was an article, I think it was in Time Magazine, about uh, DeepMind, which is the company that's owned by Alphabet and is behind a lot of these efforts. And one thing I think was really interesting was that. Uh, Google and DeepMind are aligned like philosophically, you know, in theory, in terms of like the ethics of AI and not propagating misinformation. And and it was interesting that they said like Sparrow will be launched and it'll be able to cite its sources and things like that. So that's like the first thing that I was thinking about when everybody's like, oh, G- GPT is going to take away market share from Google. I was like, this thing doesn't cite its sources. In fact, when I posted that on Twitter, a bunch of people were like, oh, you can just ask it to cite its sources. This was crazy. I don't know if you guys saw this, but if you ask it to cite its sources, it makes up sources and some of them don't exist. Like it, it said, this is Rand Fishkin's guide to EAT on Moz.com. And it was like, he never wrote that. It just made up an article. <laughs> no, I had understood that was because Rand was most likely to be cited. Right. Uh, he's been cited by like by, by everybody for everything it's for like so long. It's so right? dangerous. It's so dangerous. So <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't think Google is going to be launching anything until it's like 99.9% foolproof with that type of thing. So, or maybe it'll just do certain things like recipes or something that's like harmless, but um, you know, we're already seeing Google answering a lot of questions with the knowledge graph and featured snippets and everything. So this is probably just going to be another layer of that, but because they're so focused on fighting misinformation and and information accuracy, I, I have a hard time believing that they're going to stop surfacing you know authoritative listings and linking to the sites that they got the information from and that's that's fundamental to how google works you know I've, i thought that keeps rolling around the back of my mind through to this whole conversation is the the the, the two-word phrase this iteration mm-hmm. um so this iteration of ai does this this iteration of ai that google's looking at might do this and that um Douglas Copeland, the, the author Douglas Copeland, uh, uh, coined a phrase "acceleration culture," um, and I mean that we 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 our careers are 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 the epitomes of acceleration culture. Um, uh, uh, does AI scare you? Does uh, as a, you're beyond being an SEO, you're also a musician and an artist, um, yeah. and AI is making. Um, massive inroads into into, into both um, visual and uh, experiential art and into music. Does it does, yeah. does does that keep you up at night, or is it's, it an opportunity? It's, well, it's 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 an opportunity, and it's really exciting, and it's 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 kind of thrilling and interesting to see where it goes. But it it does definitely scare me in the sense of like I don't trust humanity to do a good job taking care of like all the people that this is going to take their jobs. 
I don't I don't see how we're going to manage that aspect of it. So that's the part that scares me. Now, Sam Altman was uh, speculating on a guaranteed annual income, and I think he even got to the point of saying, look, just bill me, I'll pay it. Um, in the is... U.S., I don't know. Like, if this was Scandinavia, I'd be like, yeah, totally, but I, I don't know. In this culture, I have no idea. Well, indeed, um, the, the idea, the, the logical idea, this might be a, a Bill Gatesism tax the machines. Um, yeah. That seems logical. But will that actually happen in, in, in this timeline reality? Well, another thing that's interesting to think about, too, is like I, I thought about this cycle as well. Like the first thing when everyone's like, oh, GPT is going to take away Google's, you know, take away market share from Google. It's like, OK, so let me get this straight. The, the sites that are providing the information that this thing is trained on are creating this content because they have a financial incentive to create the content. When that financial incentive goes away, they stop creating the content and then the, the information accuracy of these things gets even worse. So like someone has to be incentivized to be writing this content. I don't know how GPT plans to pay people. I also don't know if one day in the future people have some kind of robots.txt like you can't use my site <laughs> for this because that doesn't exist right now. It's like, did we really just sign up for this? Like. I didn't consent to use using my content for this, you know? Well, yeah, that's been a uh, bugaboo of um, internet creators since day one. I remember, Dave, you must you, you, you must remember me in the Step Forth offices throwing stuff across the room because someone had scraped my article and it was, you know, we republished on some sites that had all this, you know, it, it was maddening. So maddening, yeah. And, you know, that, that happens. And incidentally, um, AI AI content is is rapidly going to start training itself on AI generated content. Um, this is a snake eating its own tail sort of thing. <laughs> um, what do you got to say about that, Dave? Huh? I, I take personal blame. You for should it, actually. I'm I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, I mean, all I can sort of think of like I, I I I so wish I so wish I was back in my like gray hat black hat affiliate marketing days. Like that's not to say I don't like what I'm doing now, but I'm like, oh, and when Sparrow comes out, like, what if it was more accurate? And I went, oh, okay, I'm gonna get Sparrow to generate this content, and then go, okay, GPT three, summarize this content so that it then changes it from something that they could detect and see if Google could figure that one <laughs> down the down the rabbit hole there, but. That's that's a, a you know a, a different aside. Something you 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 brought up, Jim, and 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 it's on the thread of it, um, like sort of the do you feel as an artist um, sort of challenge challenged by this. At the other side of things, on, on a related topic, I actually I jotted down, so I'm going to use this as like a quasi segue. I've been curious since, I don't know, knowing you, and I don't know how I didn't just like ask you this over a drink one day at a, at a conference somewhere, but you do do creative stuff, right? Like you're, you're a DJ, you're a drummer, like there's, there's a, a strong artistic sort of creative side. Theoretically, like when I think about it, I think most of our role is on the logic driven sort of practical nuts and bolts side of things. Does that creative side help sort of steer and, and and provide some some sort of value um on on sort of like your professional side yeah good question i've actually always thought that was like the single reason why i love seo and have been effective at seo is because i have like both sides of the brain in a pretty big way like a, a very creative a very musical i always have been but i, I also am pretty data driven and like i really do enjoy analyzing data and like uh, also the technical stuff. Like I grew up in a tech family in the Bay area and that stuff has always been exciting to me. I'm not a programmer per se, but like my, my brother is and my father is. And so throughout my whole career, I text my dad and my brother when I need help with like anything coding related. <laughs> my, my dad did my Python homework in college. Don't repeat that, but it was kind of funny. Um, but yeah, it really is the blending of those two things. Like the, with SEO, obviously there's a million different ways you can take the career, but I love like both being able to solve technical mysteries, but also being able to think strategically about like, like not all technical SEOs can think about like a good sound SEO marketing strategy, right? But um, this career speaks to me a lot because you're able to be both very creative and very analytical as well. You spent yeah. a lot of time traveling recently. Um, and, and in fact, the, 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 the last, um, two years since pandemic restrictions lifted you've been on the road as much as you've been home um what's the uh 
the the the, the how does, I'm trying. I'm trying to phrase the question properly. A lot of people are getting into into uh, search as a career path, and yeah. um, I think a lot of people are looking at the way your career has has um, uh, blossomed, and um, they're wondering how does that work in a work environment? Like, what is your working day like? Yeah. Well, first and foremost, I'm really, really lucky and blessed to work at the agency that I work at, Amsev Digital. Thank you, Amsev. Um, I would not be here otherwise. Like, <laughs> this is a company that has supported my ability to, um, like, take advantage of all these amazing opportunities. When I get invited to speak somewhere, I go speak there. And that's true for, like, different countries around the world, including in Spanish and Latin America sometimes. And, like, my, my agency supports all of this. So not every agency, not every person is going to have the opportunity to be able to have this type of role. But with AMSIV, it became very clear very quickly. Like, it's helpful for us to have Lily out there speaking about these things. And, you know, we get a lot of interest from clients or whatever. Um, but it's it's challenging as well because I work in an SEO agency. You know what I mean? So it's it's a lot of people have the idea that all I do is, like, speak and just, like, theorize. And that's definitely not the case. Like, I have a 35 person SEO team that I help run. There's uh, four directors on the team. We all kind of like co-direct, but uh, we have a lot of different clients and a lot of different categories. I also help run our audit team. So there's a lot of SEO audits that we do. So like whenever I'm not physically speaking somewhere, I'm on the computer like doing audits and client work and joining calls and things like that. So it's a very, very fast paced agency environment. Um, my team and I meet every single day for 20 minutes in the morning and just talk about what's going on with our clients, latest SEO developments. But um, as you can imagine, managing a 35 person team is a lot of work and it's a lot of different clients that we have to pay attention to. So exciting does, You were also the head of organic research at AMSIF. What does the yeah. head of organic research do? So that's like more where the, the conference stuff comes in. Um, I'm always trying to like, a lot of my talks are basically just like, what is going on with primarily Google? Uh, what are the big, you know, innovations and developments and new products that they have? How does that factor into search? How can you adapt your strategy to take advantage of some of these new things like Google Lens and multi-search, for example? Um, I work a lot with Systrix. So that's one of the big SEO tools, as everybody knows, but um, they, they do a lot with like visibility monitoring. So a lot of those articles that I write just kind of speak to like trends and different categories of how sites are doing in terms of SEO visibility, which it's very important to understand what visibility means when you read those types of articles, which I always try to define, but really like larger trends. Like I'm very interested in like, you know, in the last four years on Google, suddenly the Mayo Clinic and the CDC and the FDA and Harvard and, and the Cleveland Clinic get to rank for all the medical keywords. You know, five years ago, we had health sites that ranked number one for everything and now they can't rank at all. Like, I like those kinds of big trends that are happening on Google. And I just love reading between the lines of like Google updates because it, it really informs like what our clients should be focused on. Now you said, it's important to understand visibility. Mm -hmm. We have a listening audience. Mm -hmm. What is that? Yeah, all the tools define it differently, but uh, I generally, the articles that I write are using Systrix, their visibility index. They have a lot of documentation about what that means, but the way to think about it is basically like uh, the most simplified definition is think of it as the stock market of SEO, where Google is the, the marketplace, right? And there's these visibility index points where like the biggest sites on the internet that have the most organic visibility, like I think Wikipedia and the New York Times are some of the biggest. They have, um, I don't remember the number, I should, but maybe let's say like five to 10,000 points. And then everybody below that has a certain number of points. And this is assigned based on their index of keywords, um, which is, I should also know this, but I think it's a million in the US. And based on how all the sites are ranking for those million keywords throughout the course of the year, they're assigned a certain number of points. And it also depends on the search volume as well. So based on how you're performing against that set of keywords and how much search volume they have, you have a score. Over time, that score will change. So if a core update happens, you might drop 20 visibility points. And that's really significant. And then what I look at is like when you see 15 sites in the same category that all lost 20 visibility points overnight, that's a pretty clear indication that something happened with that space. Like maybe dictionary sites moved down. Maybe Google's getting better at understanding which keywords require dictionary sites or not. Like 
a lot of times you'll see with core updates, they switch from one type of site to another type of site. So maybe it's news and now it's social media and these bigger trends are worth paying attention to. So visibility is, it's that, it's, it's a reflection of how much market share you have in the search engines, but it's not traffic. So it's very important to understand these assessments don't look at traffic. They don't look at how many times somebody clicked on the, the page, for example. They don't look at um, seasonality and they don't look at uh, different SERP features. It's really only tracking the 10 blue links. So if you appear in top stories or Google images or discover, that's not going to be factored into your visibility score. One of the things that have changed over the years and perhaps one of the most significant changes in the last uh, couple of years is the, um, the weight and importance of links in, in SEO. Um, how do you feel? Um, how, how important are links um, now as, as opposed to say five or six years ago? And um, has that evolution changed the way that, 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 yeah, that, that, that you look at, at link acquisitions? So in theory, they're becoming less important, but I don't think that's necessarily true. I think it's clear that links are a very, very strong ranking factor in many cases. Uh, the link spam update from December was very interesting because so many sites dropped after that update that weren't doing egregious link building. And a really interesting way of thinking about that was Google just neutralized a whole set of links across the internet. So even if those links were pointing to somebody linking to you, you can still feel the impact from that. So I like to never uh, encourage clients to ever do any type of link building that's against Google's guidelines, even a little bit, because they obviously get smarter and smarter over time. So like whatever short-term gains you're gonna see from it, if you're willing to have your site crash and burn and do a new one, go for it. I don't work on those types of sites, but like, you know, uh, for our clients, generally speaking, we don't make link, link building a huge part of our SEO strategy at our agency because that's not what we do. I like to say like, there are other agencies that we recommend that's what they do. They pick up the phone and they call journalists all day. That's not SEO, that's PR. So we can help them come up with the strategy, with the content strategy, I, I, you know, creating the thing that we think is gonna get a lot of links and working with them on that. But when it comes to picking up the phone and trying to get the links, I think that that's more of a PR effort than SEO. But it's important, it's important for most sites, yeah. Another thing that you'd noted um, was the way that uh, Systrix created the uh, the visibility score. I know that the SEO metrics are amazing. Um, you can you can mix and match so many different factors to come up with a metric that suits the needs or the uh, the reality of any individual client. Um, there's tons and tons of different tools out there. Often these tools give wildly different. Um, scores or metrics for what for um, the same vocabularies, the same terms. Um, how do you help people deal with um, how confusing that can be? I mean, uh, you, you have a you have a, a Moz score and a, an SEM rush score and a, a, a Google Search Console uh, score and, 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 and now um, web dev is giving you um, four different scores. How do you uh, how do you help clients like with all these different metrics? Yeah, it's kind of like, it's a blessing and a curse. It's the, the score oriented thinking in our industry has done a lot of damage to people's ability to conceptualize how SEO works, especially with regard to EEAT, because that's the first question everybody has is like, how do I know my score? Or how do I know like how I'm doing? <laughs> it's like, there is no score. Um, there's not ever going to be anything like a score. Um, so that's, that's confusing, but it's, yeah, there's just so much misinformation and, and people love to try to boil things down into like, well, I got a link from a DR 50 site. So this and this thing happened. And it's like, use these scores and metrics as a frame of reference. You know, of course, the difference between a domain rating of 80 and 10, that's important. That's like absolutely something worth paying attention to, but I wouldn't obsess over the details more often than not, like we don't really use these scores much for anything. I would say like search volume we use directionally, but even that, if you compare what any of the tools say to what Search Console says in terms of impressions, it's never the same. It's never even close to the same. 
I think no. Google Analytics and Google Search Console are never even close to the same. The yeah. left and right side <laughs> of the office don't know what's going on. Yeah, exactly. As long as though, I've, I've always found though, as long as, as long as the sets of metrics that you do use are consistent and you consistently use them, they can be good indicators. But if you try to mix and match or, and as, as you said, get addicted to their output, um, you, you, you're probably um, uh, walking a, uh, a misinformed into misinformation yeah and there's a heck of a lot of seo misinformation out there um yeah. how do you um how do you sort like there's so much to take in the, the, i asked you about, about about what your working day is like the, the first hour hour and a half of my working day just involves reading and i 60 percent of what i read is completely non-factual proposing <laughs> as fact how, how do you sort um, I have a few trusted mentors that I, I really, really trust. So if anything is confusing, I'll reach out to them. Um, you know, I've, I've been really lucky to be able to like befriend a lot of my like SEO idols in the past several years. You know, I, I used to be like the kid at conferences that was just sitting there like, oh my God, maybe one day I'll meet Cindy Crum. <laughs> now it's like, Cindy is my buddy, you know, like we're friends, like we speak together and, and so like the, and it's, it's amazing that our, our industry is as open and generous as it is. Like I speak to friends outside of the SEO industry and they're like, you guys have dinner together? Like, yeah, like not only that, like we're all good friends. There's a lot of us and we're friends all over the world. Um, so if there's ever anything I'm unsure about, it's a really amazing thing to be able to like reach out to friends and mentors outside of the company. Um, that's that's been a really big asset for me. So I I, I follow people on Twitter. Uh, I definitely don't take everything at face value. I do look at who the authors are for certain things. <laughs> Sometimes authors have an agenda. <laughs> how's, um, how's your relationship with becoming one of those mentors? Well, that this has been a whole crazy journey. Um, it's it's been really cool. You know, it's like I I there's definitely like an old guard and kind of like young blood in the SEO thing happening. And I, I think I'm kind of somewhere in the middle. Um, I don't know, maybe more on the younger side. I think people see me as younger, but like, I kind of feel like I've been there for a while. I was just kind of quiet for a while, but um, that's been interesting too, because it's like, suddenly there's all these new young SEOs that are like really excited and want to speak at events. And I feel like for, in many cases, I serve as like kind of a mentor for a lot of them or like an inspiration, which is like so cool and so exciting. Uh, I love to see like more women speaking, more diverse speakers, like all that happening is really cool. Uh, but it was, uh, it took a while for me and it's still, I still have imposter syndrome. I still like, what you guys want to hear from me? Like that's, <laughs> I'm just a person doing SEO at a company, but turns out when you do SEO all day, every day for 10 plus years, you start to know what you're talking about a little bit. <laughs> we're, we were chatting a bit ago about like it was on metrics and then we were talking about trends right i mean just to, to illustrate i actually got a number this time like three days ago i did but like according to, if you look at the 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 averages google will tell you chat gpt should get 480 searches per month like that so that's what they're pretty sure it's it's getting <laughs> that's right amazing. now yeah it was giving me like nothing a couple days ago so just for for context like, they went from zero to 480 life. my goodness yeah. So you look at the average and go, okay, that means tens of thousands. That's a little more like on point with what I, I might expect. Someone um, manually yeah. messed with that search volume for sure. Yeah, probably. Um, so, I mean, and then that's where you get into the lie, right? Like that's averaged over 12 months. Well, it spiked for one month in the data. So now you multiply right. that by 12. Now you're at something closer to, to what we might, might think of. Um, but that got me thinking like from from your path and, and, and you've been doing so like you speak a lot um, and you've been speaking a lot for years. So when you think back, like when I'm thinking of trends, if you think back to that first deck you made and, and, and your topics have been kind of similar and then you look at the progression of them today, like the one that you've just prepared most recently, um, you know, what you're going to be doing in, at, at PubCon. What does that tell you about the future? Like what trends could you think of from your sequence of decks that make you go, oh, okay, this is 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 making me see a, a little bit more about, about where we're going? 
Yeah, it's a funny question. I, you were actually there for my first real conference talk. We spoke oh. together. Yeah, it was uh, SMX San Jose, I want to say. Um, honestly, it's like a lot of people say, not much has changed. Like, you know, when, when you approach SEO the way that I do and my team does, which not all SEOs do, but we use Google's guidelines as the framework for how we approach SEO. Uh, the extent to which things change has to do with how much Google changes. So how much the algorithms result in different, you know, different sites ranking or whether Google launches new SERP features or new products like that, that stuff always changes. But fundamentally, the approach doesn't change. Um, you know, I think like EEAT is something that is always evolving and it's always becoming more competitive and sites are getting better and better at displaying those signals. So you have to become more and more creative with it and your content has to become better and better. So it's not like the work never stops, but I think conceptually, uh, I've been saying the same thing for a long time. Like I actually was like black hat before 2012 and I didn't really know what I was doing, but I was buying a lot of links and it worked really well. And that was the last time I did that after Penguin. So, you know, my approach hasn't changed since then. Now I like, I don't want to get in trouble anymore. <laughs> that was awful. <laughs> See, I find that really interesting, though, because it, it actually was something I meant to comment on earlier because I loved the way you framed it, just the, the sort of ethics around it. And this is just because it matches mine personally, not because it's actually right or wrong. Um, but you had commented basically non-judgmental on the sort of black hat, and the, yeah. which I think leans to the, yeah, the guidelines aren't laws, right? Like, these aren't yeah, right or wrong. It's just the path to Google. You you do you and, and decide your, your sort of risk, right? Like, if you're... Yeah whipping through sites and going, yeah, I've got like 10 more coming up behind this one I'm burning to the ground. Yeah, I mean, we get a lot of clients who have been burned and they come to us and they're businesses that right. have been destroyed by, by right. AD SEO companies. So that's pretty terrible. But yeah. if it's you just testing things and you wanna like see how long you can get away with it, I mean, I can't stop you. Like that's, <laughs> go for it. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, then it's it's victimless, right? Like right. you're hurting exactly. you, like go, go nuts. Yeah. Um, no, so, and, and it's, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, actually, Dave, please finish your question. I, I, I got one that'll go a different direction. No, 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 go for it. Well, now that we've broached the subject, um, there is a lot of judgmentalism in in, uh, in SEO. And uh, Lily, recently you were, um, you were singled out for a choice of conference in Thailand you were going to speak at. Now, yeah. the, I, I honestly don't care what conference you speak at. I think you should speak anywhere you anywhere you damn well please. But how does that affect you? How does that like 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 people are pointing fingers and saying this, this, or whatever? How do you deal with that? Not well, if you want to be <laughs> if you want me to be honest. I, I mean, um, you know, like I tend to take Twitter drama personally, way more personally than I should. Like I hate disappointing people. Uh, I hate when people question my ethics and my morals. I'm like, you don't even know me. That's not fair, you know? So it's it's hard because you're always trying to do, I'm always trying to do the right thing. And like, I really, I really do. Um, but not everything is up to me, you know? So <laughs> I'm not the one creating the conference. I'm just trying to do what's best for my agency and me and everybody else. So that was just a situation where I was like, I just need to remove myself from this because it's way too much drama for me. And hopefully they fill my spot with someone deserving and diverse and all these things. But like, um, it's tricky, right? Because it's like, if I were to say no to every event based on some ethical framework, I probably wouldn't speak very much. Indeed. We, um, yeah. we often don't get to choose who our clients are. And uh, I mean, there's, there's a whole bunch of ethical decisions that SEO has got to make in the course of their careers. And it's hard to find where those guidelines or... Um, even um, why certain um, ideas or outrages may exist. Um, did you have any idea there would be a controversy when agreeing to the uh, to, to speak there? Did, yeah. did it occur to you that it might be? Oh yeah, there's a lot that happened behind the scenes that people don't really wanna, they, they, they think they know, but they don't. Um, yeah, I, it was, yeah, it was a consideration and it panned out differently than expected. So I had to remove myself from the equation. Um, again, I would probably be vocal and angry and very, very, uh, I, I'd probably spike myself somehow 
in in my own reaction. So congratulations, you didn't. Um, <laughs> I do it because um, I I very much just like being told what to do. Um, is there uh, a responsibility SEOs have to uh, Google or to the web that uh, that gets overlooked? Yeah, it depends which SEOs you're talking to. You know, I think like again, like if you're if you're in the business of helping biz companies, I think there's all kinds of like ethical considerations. Like I again, like I would tell your clients if you're planning to use AI content, like we don't exactly know how Google's going to treat AI content. I think that's ethical. Um, if you're building links that are knowingly in violation of Google's guidelines and you tell clients otherwise, I think that's an ethical problem. And we encounter that time and time again with the companies that we work with and their previous SEO agencies. So like if you're servicing someone else and they're putting their trust in you to do the right thing, if you're going to be taking risks, you have to run it by them and get their approval. Um, that's like what I believe, but Again, like, uh, you know, Google's not the, the government, like you can, you can make money off Google and do and do all kinds of stuff that goes against their guidelines, if that's what you want to do. But I just wouldn't, I wouldn't deceive anybody or trick anybody and steal their money. Um, is the field you're in now, you're, you're focusing mostly on technical SEO and making websites tighter, better, more performative. Um, is that getting harder as time goes forward? Um, yeah, yeah. Like I, I used to feel like eight out of 10 with tech SEO, like five years ago. Like I felt really, really solid. Granted, I was doing a lot more technical SEO work today, but now I feel like six out of 10. <laughs> There's other people on my team that are 10 out of 10. They're amazing, but I don't understand like, the JavaScript and page speed level of detail that they get into. I'm like, yep, you lost me. I don't, I don't, I don't understand that stuff. I don't, I don't know it as well as you do. You know, they sound like developers. Um, and I don't think that it's necessary to have that level of knowledge, but like for the types of big brands that we work on and the conversations that our technical SEOs are having with them, it's, you can't just learn that stuff casually. That's another level of understanding. It's very I difficult. I have a whole team of devs I work with. Thank goodness they deal with that for me. No, <laughs> um, we we've talked a, a bunch on on this episode about AI generated content. No surprise, we're all going to be talking about it quite a bit for the for the for the months to come. Um, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about it right now in this next question. Um, but are we defining it too narrow? Like Chat GPT came out. First part of that word is chat which sort of implies it actually has different purposes than the one that we're going, hey, I could use this as a content generation machine, which we all very quickly came into. What do you think is coming or, or have you thought about what's coming just from like a, hey, websites can use these new technologies that are coming out. We can actually yeah. like function with it. It's a chat. Like, are, are we actually missing the boat on enhancing some of the, the sort of web-based capabilities we might have that are user-centric, not search engine-centric. Yeah, totally. I mean, the everyone immediately thought of SEO. I was like, why are we not thinking? First thing I thought about was like, put this thing in a little doll that kids and teenagers can just talk to. Like, you can ask this thing like therapy questions and it really does a nice job. Like, why is this person not calling me back? like this person might not be calling you back because this and this thing and I'm like this would have been so helpful for me when I was 15 <laughs> <laughs> like this is a friend like this is actually someone people can talk to so aside from all the marketing like ways to make money off of this thing I'm like put this thing in someone's home is like a nice like I don't know there's so many ways it can add value to people's lives write poetry read bedtime stories you know what I mean it's like think about those applications good ones I love that yeah. I really don't want this show to end. This is one of the shows that I want to go and want to have on uh, all, all, all week long, but it can't. Um, and as I said at the beginning, um, all great things do come to ends. Lily Ray, thank you so much for spending time with us today on, uh, on Webcology. This has been a really fun conversation and uh, you've, been, you've been really generous with, 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 with your time and information. So thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks so much for having me. Good luck in your endeavors, Dave. Hope to see you Thank around you. soon. See you in Austin. See you in Austin, yeah. And uh, Dave, man, this is uh, 
last few minutes, dude. Um, it's it's hard to it's hard to find a way to close the show off, but uh, for seventeen years of uh, a really successful content band, thank you. Yeah, it's been awesome. Love you too, buddy. Absolutely, love you so much, Dave, and uh, thank Mary for me too. I. Eh? Friends, you have been listening to Webcology, recorded live to podcast on uh, January 26, 2023. We are going to be back. <laughs> Excuse me for a moment. We will be back next week with uh, hopefully, again, witty, witty banter and uh, a fun view of the news and events. Dave Davies. Uh, as he head SEO at Weights and Biases, man, thank you so much for being on Webcology and best luck in the future. Friends, stay safe, be kind to each other, rank well, be nice, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited.